Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 339. It's titled, The DeFi Revolution and How to Earn a 9% Yield. My son, Brett, has worked with me part-time for almost three years. I pay him. Obviously, this is a job. He recently switched banks. It took him a while to get that set up. And so I needed to make a payment. It had been a month or so. I went to wire the funds to him. And his new bank wasn't set up to receive wires. So then I decided I'll just send an ACH. Well, my bank wanted me to sign up for a $10 a month service in order to send ACHs. I then tried Apple Pay. I had to verify my bank account, which required me to call my bank on the phone to get it set up. I was finally able to get Apple Pay set up, thinking the money would get there right away. But no, it took several days even despite all that effort. During this whole process, I thought it would just be easy to send him cryptocurrency. Then he'd have the money, but then he'd have to convert it back to dollars. And if I sent him Bitcoin, I'd have to pay taxes on the gains I had on Bitcoin. It seems like personal finance shouldn't be that difficult. But we work in a system of centralized finance where there's centralized control. We typically only have one bank, maybe two. And switching banks can be a real pain. In the U.S., the four largest banks have a 44% share of insured deposits, compared to 15% in 1984. The concentration of banks is even higher in other countries. In our current financial system, the central bank, the U.S. Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, are highly influential in the financial system from a regulatory standpoint, but also setting interest rate policy, which can influence other interest rates. Money supply creation. Central banks are very, very involved in that, as we have explored in recent episodes. Banking can be incredibly inefficient. It's expensive. When somebody joins Money for the Rest Plus Plus, I pay up to 3% to have Stripe process the credit card. Individuals trying to send remittances overseas can pay 5 to 7%. There are 1.4 billion people in the world that are bankless. They don't have access to a traditional banking account. Many consumers are forced to go to payday lending stores to cover shortfalls they might have and pay extremely high interest rates. There's a lack of interoperability with banks. The pieces don't always fit together, which is why it can take days to send money from one bank to another. And the banking and financial system isn't particularly transparent. We don't always have a good sense for what the risks are with our banks. 
That's why deposit insurance exists. I started doing online banking in the year 2000. Used a bank called NetBank for a number of years until they went broke and were taken over by the FDIC. I had no idea that they were in a difficult financial situation. These are some of the challenges with our current financial system. They were pointed out in a paper I read this week titled DeFi and the Future of Finance by Campbell Harvey, Ashwin Ramachandran, and Joey Santoro. The paper's authors believe that DeFi, decentralized finance, will meaningfully replace all the elements of centralized finance. And what is DeFi? They describe it as building and combining open source financial building blocks or apps, dApps, that perform various functions of the financial markets, lending, transacting, tokenization in order to settle trades and own assets, and that these apps will benefit from a network effect because they can be combined and recombined, and access to them is available to anybody. They describe it as a technology of inclusion where anybody can pay a flat fee to use and benefit from the innovations of DeFi. DeFi is in its early stages. These apps are generally built on the blockchain using Ethereum as the primary mechanism. Ethereum is a cryptocurrency, but it differs from Bitcoin because Ethereum can include smart contracts code that is on the blockchain that defines certain interactions for assets, for data, for the network participants. And so it isn't simply an exchanging of a token. It's actually a bit of code that makes up a smart contract. DeFi then is made up of these smart contracts that interact. And with these rules that comprise these smart contracts, we can have all those finance functions theoretically without anybody owning it or controlling it very, very much decentralized. You read through this paper that I mentioned and other resources, and it can just get so confusing. But it can be understood. And maybe we don't understand all the other underlying parts, but things are happening in the world of finance, decentralized finance, that we can benefit from and participate in, including earning upwards of 9% on our assets. Not without risk, of course, and we'll dive into that in more detail. Let's first take a look at one of these DeFi apps. It's called MakerDAO. MakerDAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. So there's not one person in charge. The people that are in charge are people that own governance tokens that are known as MKR. And if you have one of these tokens, you can participate in running this decentralized organization. You can vote on proposals. You can submit proposals. MakerDAO was founded by Rune Christensen back in, I believe it was 2014. And MakerDAO issued a stablecoin called the DAI, D-A-I. It was released in 2017. A stablecoin is something that seeks to maintain a certain peg relative to something else. In this case, the die is pegged to $1 and seeks to maintain that dollar peg. Unlike other stablecoins, which maintain the peg by 
keeping collateral, such as dollars, in a bank account in escrow so that there's actually a dollar backing it, this DAI, this stablecoin, is backed by debt. And it's ingenious how they've done it because they've essentially replicated the traditional financial system without key individuals controlling it. The idea of a stablecoin is that it not be as volatile as Bitcoin or Ethereum, which have been very volatile. DAI can be used to pay for goods and services. It can be traded on an exchange. It can be borrowed. But the way DAI keeps its value relative to the dollar, keeps its peg relative to the dollar, is there are economic incentives put in place to increase or reduce the supply of DAI outstanding. Very similar to the way central banks try to limit the growth of a nation's currency. By raising interest rates, there's less demand for loans and less money creation. In this case, the way that it works with DAI is an individual can take some cryptocurrency or other assets, let's say some ether, they deposit it in a maker vault, which is in itself a smart contract. It's over collateralized. So the individual might have to put 150% worth of ether relative to the value of the die, so that if ether falls in price, the value of that die is protected. There's a fee for creating the die called a stability fee, which is like an interest rate. The owners of the maker token decide on what that stability fee is. What is the interest rate that individuals that want to create die, the stable coin, what interest rate will they pay? In addition, there's a die savings rate to where individuals can deposit die and earn interest. I mentioned that the MKR token holders that govern the protocol, they decide based on recommendation of risk teams what the level of that daily savings rate should be, what the stability fee should be, and the level of over-collateralization that needs to be there. And those work in tandem to control the amount of die outstanding in order to keep the peg of the die to one per one dollar. What's so interesting about this is it's not controlled by anyone. It's just those that own the maker tokens and the holders of the token get a portion of that stability fee. So if more die is created over time, the value of the maker token goes up because the holders are getting more of the stability fee income. Again, all of this is done through smart contracts. So if, for example, Ether falls in price, the collateral value goes down Within the smart contract realm, there are what are known as keepers that can take control of the collateral and sell it. The keepers take the collateral, auction it off for die so that the loan is paid off. And that effectively destroys die because, again, the borrower deposited collateral in a vault, got die stablecoin in return. Maybe they used it to buy other cryptocurrency or to leverage it up in some other way. But ultimately, when the collateral fell, that die had to be returned so that that initial loan could be paid off. 
there's a lot of pieces and it's complicated. Yet, so is traditional finance. What's amazing about this, it's very much decentralized. You can borrow and you pay an interest rate to do that. You can put die into a depository account and earn interest. There's a spread with the lending rate. The stability fee is always higher than the daily savings rate. The money supply of DAI is adjusted based on supply and demand, as those various interest rates are adjusted, as well as the amount of collateral that needs to be held, which is also adjusted based on how risky the collateral is. It's generally worked. The DAI has very much been stable at a one-to-one peg. The holders of the MKR tokens have an incentive to make sure the system works and the stability is there because then more individuals will want to use DAI. Then the value of their MKR token will go up because they're getting more fee income. Now, there was a big challenge to DAI back in March 2020 when the pandemic shutdown hit. The value of Ether plummeted, and the ability to take collateral and sell it for DAI, the throughput into the system was was slowed down tremendously, to where, at one point, there was about $4 million of DAI not backed by enough assets. And in that case, Maker Dow was looking at what is known as an emergency shutdown, to shut down the entire thing, to liquidate it, because the peg wouldn't hold if there isn't sufficient collateral backing it. But they made it through, and they didn't have to do the emergency shutdown. But it's an example of an entire financial infrastructure built on Ethereum smart contracts. But unlike traditional finance, anyone can go and buy DAI, deposit it, earn a yield. They can borrow and DAI. There's no credit checks because of the over-collateralization. So it's very much equal as long as you understand how it works. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. 
Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Another DeFi example, a little simpler, is one I've mentioned before, BlockFi. This was a firm formed in 2017 by Zach Prince and Flory Marquez. They recently raised another $350 million in capital and have raised $450 million so far at a valuation of $3 billion. What BlockFi does is you can deposit cryptocurrency, including stable coins, and earn interest. And similar to Maker, BlockFi makes loans, over-collateralized loans, so individuals can borrow, in this case, they can borrow in dollars, having used their cryptocurrency as collateral. And why would somebody want to do that? I mentioned a few weeks ago, I bought a watch using Bitcoin just to try it out. Well, I have to pay taxes on the value of that watch because it's just like I've had I sold Bitcoin, taken the capital gain, and then bought the watch. So some individuals would rather than sell their Bitcoin, just borrow against it. In the same way that individuals, we might have equity in our home and not want to sell our home, and so we borrow against our home. BlockFi does these over-collateralized loans. They also provide loans to financial players, hedge funds, or other financial entities that are market makers in the crypto space that need inventory of crypto, and they're willing to borrow it and pay interest on it, and they're willing to borrow it from the likes of BlockFi. BlockFi has over $10 billion in assets on their balance sheet. When I first looked at BlockFi two years ago, I just thought it was this little app. I did a plus episode on it. And I mentioned it about a year ago as a way to earn upwards of 9% on cryptocurrency deposits. But they are so much bigger now. And you look at the type of firms that have invested in it. It's becoming a significant player in this space. I am in the process of opening an account at BlockFi because I want to earn 8.6% interest on stablecoin. I will also give DAI a try and create DAI or deposit DAI. These experiments help me to understand because it is complicated with all the moving pieces and sometimes doing it is a way to help to understand it. Now there are risks. Foremost, these are not FDIC insured. These are not like bank accounts where if something happens to the platform, you're protected. You're not. So that's a big risk. The second is credit risk. In the case of BlockFi, they 
have the over-collateralized loans to individuals. There's more protection there, but they're also doing under-collateralized loans to these financial institutions and market makers. And they say they do credit research, and they're very selective. That They've only had 50 or so that they've approved, according to Zach Prince in an interview of his on the Investors podcast. BlockFi has never lost money, although they've only been in business three years. A big test was in March 2020, where they also didn't suffer any, any losses. And they're willing to put their equity, stake their equity, to where depositors would get paid off first. They would wipe out all their equity in the firm in order to make their depositors whole. Another risk with these platforms, and BlockFi is just one example, but there are others such as Nexo. If you look at Nexo, their deposit rate that they pay is higher than their lending rate. And it appears that, at least in the case of Nexo, they are taking some of that collateral and lending it out. Now, that's risky. That's called rehypothecation. And that means there's more credit risk there. There is a risk if there's a sell-off in cryptocurrencies. This cryptocurrency lending, it's debt. And if the collateral falls, there can be liquidations, and that can push down the value of cryptocurrencies, just like we see in the traditional financial sphere, where there are margin calls. And there are liquidations and asset prices fall. That can occur here. And it is clearly a risk. There's also a risk of hacking. For 90 minutes last May, hackers were able to compromise BlockFi's system. They weren't able to access the assets, but they were able to get usernames and email addresses, dates of birth. So hackers want to gain access to these DeFi platforms just like hackers like to get access to banks and compromise individuals' financial accounts. Except in this case, there isn't depository insurance like there is for that. That's why the interest rates are so much higher. We're earning 7 to 10% on these deposits because there are risks. Now, this whole DeFi area is evolving very quickly. It's well away from replacing centralized finance, but it's gone way beyond just going out and buying Bitcoin and storing it in a wallet. Now you can actually earn interest on your cryptocurrency. Now you can borrow in cryptocurrency. There's an entire ecosystem decentralized based on smart contracts where there are risks, but there are opportunities. And so we need to keep exploring. Take our time and I have found it easiest to read something, go off and think about it a while, read it again. You get knowledge little by little, and it finally begins to sink in. Try it out with small sums. Establish account. We've had members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus give BlockFi and others a try. I'm going to start. I'm really fascinated by Maker and Die and how that's evolving. Because with BlockFi, there's still the central authority doing the credit underwriting, deciding what the rates are. So in some ways, it's like a traditional bank in that they take deposits and they make loans. But with Maker, it's similar, but it's controlled by the owners of the token, not by venture capitalists that own BlockFi. So it's even more decentralized than a company like BlockFi. Something is happening in this space. China is coming out with their own central bank digital currency. They've been testing it. Crypto's not going away. It's evolving. It's growing. 
And we'll see if it ends up replacing centralized finance. Probably decades to come, but there's opportunity. And it can be done in a regulated fashion. When I was establishing my BlockFi account, they go through Know Your Customer Protocols. I had to give my social security number and all the other things that I would need to open up a financial account. We'll see how that evolves with something like DAI in terms of how much information you need to provide. But this arena can survive even if there is regulation, because at the end of the day, it's more democratic, more equality of opportunity, lower fees, less friction. We'll see how it evolves. That's episode 339. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to learn more about investing, I have two ways I can help with that. First, you can sign up for my weekly Insider's Guide email list, and I'll email you the links and show notes to that week's episode, an essay on money, investing, and the economy. And if you sign up for the Insider's Guide email list, you'll get a free investment guide, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, a summary of the key points of my book by the same name. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. If you would like additional guidance on building out an institutional quality investment portfolio, managing your assets as you save and invest in retirement, you can get that help and guidance by becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. It's where you can access professional-grade portfolio tools, training, and a community to manage your investments like a professional. These are the same tools I use to manage my investments, to monitor risk, to estimate expected returns for different asset classes. Plus, membership includes model portfolio examples to help jumpstart your investing and much, much more. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.